the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Propitiation is almost synonymous with the term satisfaction. When you think of propitiation, think of satisfaction. That's a good way to remember it. Someone has defined it this way. He said, propitiation is the work of Jesus Christ on the cross by which he satisfied God's holiness so God could extend mercy to lost sinners. Welcome to Verse by Verse with Pastor Steve Kreloff of Lakeside Community Chapel in Clearwater, Florida. We're in the middle of a series of lessons on key Bible doctrine words. Words like redemption, justification, salvation, and reconciliation. Today's word is propitiation. That's a word that many of us would have a difficult time defining, much less know how it is applied in our lives. So Pastor Steve begins with a definition. Propitiation is the work of Jesus Christ on the cross, by which he satisfied God's holiness so that God could extend mercy to lost sinners. You see, since God is perfectly holy, he couldn't simply overlook our sin and forgive us after he said very clearly that the wages of sin is death. In today's lesson, Pastor Steve will open up for us God's plan to resolve this impasse and bring us the salvation that he planned for us. Here's Pastor Steve. In the Bible is the word propitiation. It is a technical word that tends to frighten us. In fact, uh, some of us have a hard time pronouncing it, let alone knowing what, what it means. I remember the first time as a young pastor I mentioned this word, I mispronounced it, and some dear saint was there to remind me and help me later. But it is propitiation, and it is throughout the New Testament in connection with the cross. It explains the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. For instance, in Romans chapter 3, verse 25, The Apostle Paul says, speaking of Christ, whom God displayed publicly as a propitiation in his blood through faith. 1 John chapter 2, verse 2, and he himself, meaning Christ, is the propitiation for our sins and not for ours only, but also for those of the whole world. 1 John chapter 4, verse 10. In this is love, not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. But there's much, much misunderstanding, much, concerning this term propitiation. So I think it's good to see what it doesn't mean. What does it not mean? First of all, if you looked in your English dictionary, you would find a definition like this concerning propitiation. It would say something to the effect of appeasing someone's anger. Appeasing someone's anger. But I want you to know that is not the biblical concept of propitiation. Appeasing someone's anger is a heathen concept of propitiation. And there is a heathen concept of of that word. In pagan circles, propitiation meant the appeasing of divine wrath. It meant that you could buy off your false god. You see, the, the gods of 
of ancient times and the false deities of present times are, are gods of anger, gods who are malicious, gods who are vindictive. And if the heathen wanted anything from them, like rain or crops or victory in, in battle, they'd have to bribe them. They'd have to give them some kind of a gift. They'd have to appease their anger because their God was cold or gods were cold and aloof and uncaring. And so uh, propitiation really meant the appeasing of, of his divine wrath. They, they paid them off. They appeased them by all sorts of things. It's a great illustration of this. Let's turn in the Old Testament to 1 Kings chapter 18. 1 Kings chapter 18. And you recall, if you've been with us studying the biblical flow of history, that in 1 Kings 18, you have that marvelous confrontation between Elijah the prophet and the false prophets of Baal. And Elijah basically challenges them. And uh, he, he says in verse 21, Elijah came near to the people and said, How long will you hesitate between two opinions? If the Lord is God, follow him. But if Baal, follow him. But the people did not answer him a word. Then Elijah said to the people, I alone am left, a prophet of the Lord, but Baal's prophets are 450 men. Now let them give us two oxen and let them choose one ox for themselves and cut it up and place it on the wood, but put no fire under it. And I will prepare the other ox and lay it on the wood and I will not put a fire under it. Then you call in the name of your God, and I'll call in the name of the Lord, and the God who answers by fire, he's God. And the people answered and said, that's a good idea. So now you, you get the scenario, what's going to happen. A great challenge. Now watch this. Verse 25, so Elijah said to the prophets of Baal, choose one ox for yourselves and prepare it first for you, uh, for you are many, and call in the name of your God, but put no fire under it. Now watch what they did. Then they took the ox, which was given them, and they prepared it and called on the name of Baal from morning until noon. I mean, that's a long time. Morning till noon. And here's what they said. Oh, Baal, answer us. Could you imagine just the vain repetition that Jesus spoke of in Matthew chapter 6? He said, do not pray like the heathen, for they think that they'll be answered for their many words. And that's this is an illustration of that as well. Vain repetition. Oh, Baal, answer us. Oh, Baal, answer us. For hours they prayed that, but there was no voice and no one answered. And, and watch this. They leaped upon the altar which they made. Uh, some type of a ceremonial dance. What are they doing? They are trying to appease their God, Baal. They are, they are trying to turn his anger away by doing something that he might like. So they're calling out to him. They're doing some kind of ceremonial dance on the altar. And watch this. It came about at noon that Elijah mocked them and said, Call out with a loud voice, for he's a god. Either he's occupied or gone astray, he's on a journey, or perhaps he's asleep and, and needs to be awakened. He's just mocking their concept of this God who needs to be paid off. So they cried with a loud voice, and watch as they cut themselves according to their custom with swords and lances until the blood gushed out of them. What are they doing? They are appeasing the, the, the wrath of their deity. That is the heathen concept of propitiation. Verse 29, it came about when midday was passed that they raved until the time of the offering of the evening sacrifice and there was no voice, no one answered, and no one paid attention. That is the concept, the heathen concept of propitiation. Crying, cutting themselves, suffering, prayers, ceremonial dancing. 
That is the heathen concept of propitiation. So regardless of what the English dictionary says, that is not what the Bible means when it speaks of Christ being our propitiation. The God of the Bible doesn't need to be paid off. The God of the Bible doesn't need to be bribed. He isn't malicious. He is not vindictive. He is not cold. He is not aloof. He is not uncaring. You can't win him over with a multiplicity of words, Jesus said in Matthew chapter 6. He said, because your God knows what you need before you even ask him. He didn't mean don't pray, but he simply meant that's the heart of God and that's the sovereignty of God and you don't have to win him over and bribe him. He is more than willing to answer our prayers. That's the thought there. Well, what does it mean? First of all, tonight we want to look at the meaning or the definition of propitiation. And then we want to look at the reasons that God did this. What does it mean? Propitiation is almost synonymous with the term satisfaction. Satisfaction. When you think of propitiation, think of satisfaction. That's a good way to remember it. Someone has defined it this way. He said, propitiation is the work of Jesus Christ on the cross by which he satisfied God's holiness so God could extend mercy to lost sinners. I'll say that again. And this is a definition from Warren Wearsby. He said, propitiation is the work of Jesus Christ on the cross by which he satisfied God's holiness so God could extend mercy to lost sinners. And let me explain how it works. God, our God, is a God of love. And he's a God of mercy. But since he is also a God of holiness and justice, he wasn't able, he wasn't able to extend his mercy and love to us until his justice was satisfied, until his holiness was satisfied. He could not provide us with salvation until until our sin had been punished. That's another way of saying it. Before God could extend his grace to us, his holiness had to be satisfied. His justice, the law of God had been broken. If God was able to just forgive us without without punishing sin, then he would not be a holy God. He would not be a holy God. His broken law demanded punishment. So while his love moves him to save sinners, his holiness must be satisfied first before he can do this. And now you understand uh, why people misunderstand. And they say that God was changed from anger to love. No, God always loved us, but his love was not free to operate and extend mercy and grace and salvation to us until his holiness was satisfied. He's always loved us. He's always desired to reach out in love. In fact, to the unsaved, the Bible says that he desires that all men come to repentance. That's always been his heart. He does not delight in the death of the wicked, the scripture says, but God is not changed. We don't change God's uh, character and attributes because of the death of Christ. No, in our limited human language, we say he, his love now is free to operate where it wasn't before, though he still loved us. He was not free to extend his mercy and grace to us. You see, his attributes are consistent with each other. We're not a consistent people. We're not always consistent. But God's attributes are perfectly balanced and consistent with each other. They are blended in in perfect harmony so that there's no compromise. So his love is not compromised because his holiness is operating over here. And his holiness is not compromised because his love is operating over here. It is the the blending of his attributes that work in, in tandem together. And this is why biblical propitiation, this is what it's all about. The death of Christ satisfied the demands of the law, the holiness that said sin has been 
committed, it must be dealt with. And now then, when that was dealt with, God is free to reach out to us. So the Lord Jesus Christ, as, as you know, was punished in our place. Not simply the physical, not the physical crucifixion. Uh, many, many Jewish people were crucified in that time era. It wasn't simply that he was physically suffering for us. It was that he was, he was experiencing the wrath of God for us. When his blood was shed, the justice of God was satisfied because God turns his back on his son. There was no fellowship. The eternal God-man was judged in our place, and that judgment is separation from God. He paid an eternal price when he said, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? The answer is because he who knew no sin became sin at that very moment. Not just that moment, that, that time span on, on the cross. So Jesus Christ was punished in our place. When his blood was shed, the justice of God was satisfied. And now he was able to express his love and grace towards sinners. That is what propitiation means. It's the satisfaction of God's holiness through the death of Christ. That's the definition. But what's the reason? Why did he do this? Why would would God plan this? Why would Christ do this? You say, well, I know the answer because he loves me. And that's why he did it. You know, that's only part of it. And thank God that's a very important part of it. But I don't believe that's the major reason why Jesus Christ went to the cross. I think that's part of it. He certainly loves us. But I'd like you to turn to Romans chapter 3. I want to focus on verse 25 and 26 and, uh, well, those two verses, and see why. What reason is given for Jesus Christ being the propitiation or the satisfaction for our sins? It might astound you. It might surprise you. Why did God do it? Why did he provide his son to be the satisfaction for our sins? Why did Christ really die on the cross? First of all, notice notice in verse 25, whom God displayed publicly as a propitiation in his blood through faith. This is, a, this is announcing that Jesus Christ was displayed publicly for all to see on the cross. Not only in Israel, but throughout all of eternity and all of time as people read the Bible and understand this, that he was publicly dis- displayed. But why? The primary reason God set forth Christ as the propitiation for sin was to publicly declare his righteousness. Notice the next part of verse 25. This was, what that means is the death of Christ. This was, the reason is given why he was set forth on the cross. This was to demonstrate his righteousness, God's righteousness. Because in the forbearance of God, he passed over the sins previously committed. This was to demonstrate his righteousness. The reason that Jesus Christ was the satisfaction for our sin was to demonstrate the very righteousness of God. Because in the forbearance of of God, he passed over the sins previously committed. You say, what in the world does does that mean? It means this. There were people in Old Testament times who had fellowship with the Lord. They knew the Lord. They had a relationship with him. David had a relationship with the Lord. Abraham, the Bible says, was reckoned unto him for righteousness because he believed God. Abraham was a friend of God. Moses had a very close walk with the Lord. Moses was called the meekest man on the face of the earth. Uh, Jacob 
uh, knew the Lord and had fellowship with the Lord, even though he didn't always live consistently. And there were many others who knew the Lord. There's always been a remnant, the Bible says. However, as you study Old Testament characters, you realize that they were not perfect. Moses killed a man. Abraham lied. Abraham, the man of faith, lied. Jacob was a schemer and a cheater and a conniver. David committed adultery and was responsible for the woman's, uh, the, the husband's death. And yet, you read in the Bible that David was a man after God's own heart. You read wonderful things about, about these other men. Now, the question is, these men, and there were women too, died, and the scripture says they went to be in, in what the Bible calls paradise or Abraham's bosom. No one went actually to heaven until Jesus actually died. So they went into a place of, of bliss called Abraham's bosom or paradise. And the question is, what about their sin? How could they, they commit these atrocities, die and go to, uh, well, let's just call it heaven, but like heaven, paradise, and, and be forgiven? In fact, in Romans chapter 4, David speaks of the blessedness of the man who's, in, who's forgiven. Romans 4 speaks of Abraham counted for righteousness. How could these men commit these things, die and go into be with the Lord or in paradise and not be punished for their sin? You see, that's really the, uh, the critical issue in the gospel. And that's why it says in verse 26 that, that uh, it was the, or verse 25, this was to demonstrate his righteousness. Why? The death of Christ demonstrated the righteousness of God because in the forbearance of God, he passed over the sins previously committed, which means in times past, God did not punish men in Old Testament times. They did not die and, and go to hell for their sins. Why? Why? Old Testament mankind, if he thought this through, could legitimately accuse God, or at least in his mind, legitimately accuse God of being unjust. He could say, well, God, you may speak about justice and you may speak about punishment for sin, but if you forgive people without punishing their sin, then you are unrighteous in your behavior. And if that's true, if that's the case and God does not punish sin, then that would be an accurate statement. And that was really the charge of Old Testament man. I think it was Donald Gray Barnhouse who said this, for thousands of years a scandal existed in the universe because God appeared to be unrighteous. And he did appear to be unrighteous. You say, well, there were, uh, there were animal sacrifices. Yes, but the Bible is very clear that the blood of animals could never take away sin. They could only cover them. They could only cover them. They could never take away, take away sin. How could the blood of an animal ever take away sin? Everyone uh, who thought this through really understood that. The scripture says that God will by no means clear the guilty, yet he appeared to clear Old Testament uh, people without punishing their sin. And that's what it appeared he was doing until, until he set forth Jesus Christ to be the propitiation for sin. When Jesus Christ was on the cross, it was his public declaration before the whole world that God has dealt with man's sin. He dealt with man's sin. You see, that was the, that was God's public explanation of how he could forgive sinners without punishing them. It's because when men like Abraham and Moses and Jacob and David sinned, God looked down, as it, as it were, the corridors of time, and he saw his own son, 
being punished for their sins. At Calvary, God demonstrated that justice was being met because he was pouring out his wrath on his own son who was dying in our place. He poured out his wrath upon Christ. That's why the scripture says, He who knew no sin became sin for us, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. You could almost say, in a sense, that uh, that these Old Testament believers were saved on credit. The credit of, of Christ, that God, as God looked down the corridors of time, and certainly not only looked down the corridors of time, but planned it all. Jesus was the lamb that was foreordained before the, the foundation of, of the world. And this one was, was the public, God's public declaration that, that God did deal with sin. When Christ was dying, he wasn't just dying for our sins, he was dying for the, for the murder of, that Moses did. He was dying for the, the lies of Abraham, for the cheating and the, the conniving of Jacob and, and for the adultery and the killing that David was involved in. See, Christ wasn't just dying for you, he was dying for God in that sense of, of vindicating God. He wasn't dying in the place of God. He is God. But he, he was dying for God in the sense that he wasn't just dying to save us, he was dying to save God's name from being stained. That's the reason for propitiation. It is a declaration of the righteousness of God, that God is just in dealing with sin, and yet that he's also loving as well. You see, God's name has been cleared. It's been vindicated for saving and forgiving and justifying the great list of Old Testament believers. His name has been cleared forever. And even now, no one can properly accuse God of being unholy because the cross still declares loudly the same message of righteousness. Notice verse 26. For the demonstration, Paul says, I say of his righteousness at the present time. Not only is it the righteousness of God in past, but as the righteousness of God right now, that he might be the just and justifier, that he might be just rather and the justifier of the one who has his faith in Jesus. What is he saying? He's saying he deals with sin now the same way, for Christ didn't die just for the sins of Old Testament believers, but for our sins too. For all of our sins and for all of us, even unbelievers. In fact, I think that's the very clear message of 1 John 2, 2. And he himself is the propitiation for our sins and not for ours only, but also for those of the whole world. Though they may not recognize it, Jesus Christ has died for mankind's sin. In other words, God is forever justified because the cro- in the cross he has dealt with everyone's sin. So God is absolutely just. Justice has been, been met. Holiness has been satisfied. And he's also the justifier of those that believe in Jesus. He declares us righteous for those of us who believe in Christ. He's righteous and the one who declares others righteous. What the cross really says is is not that we're just forgiven of our sins and declared righteous. No, that's wonderfully true. But we have, have learned in this, propitiation tells us how God can do this and still remain God. That's the real question. The real question behind the gospel is, is not how to get sinful man to a holy God, but how to get a holy God to sinful man without violating his holiness. That's the real issue of the gospel. How do you get a holy God to sinful man without violating the very holiness of God, who can't fellowship with sin, and who's so just that sin must be punished? It has been punished in the person of Christ. That's what the cross is all about. God's justice has 
been satisfied. So he remains just. And now he's able to justify sinners, so it's a demonstration of his great love for us. He's free to forgive and justify the person who trusts Jesus Christ. All because of what? Propitiation. We'll leave you with that thought. By propitiation, God is free to forgive and justify those whose trust is in Jesus Christ. If you've never put your trust in Jesus, maybe today could be the day that you will do that. You've heard Pastor Steve Kreloff of Lakeside Community Chapel in Clearwater, Florida. Today's lesson was part of a series on key Bible doctrine words and what they mean for us today. Verse by Verse is a daily radio program with lessons taken from messages given at Lakeside Community Chapel. If you would like to have a recording of the entire message from which these first two programs in the series were extracted, you can get it on CD or audio cassette. Just call us at 727-239-0306 and we'll be happy to send it out to you. You can hear today's lesson again or explore the many other subjects on file at our website, versebyverseradio.org. That's versebyverseradio, all one word, dot O-R-G. They're available for free download. If God leads you to support the ministry of Verse by Verse, click on the box Support Us to find out how you can keep this program on the air. Be sure to join us next time when Pastor Steve will take up the word repentance. In its simplest form, the word repent simply means to change your mind. But there is much more that we can get out of this one word. I'm Jerry Pruden, inviting you to join us next time for Verse by Verse. Star General Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.